Well, good morning. Welcome to the coolest place in Las Cruces. My name is Tim Watkins. I'm one of the elders here at Messiah Park Community Church, and I have the privilege of bringing the message this morning. And for some of you who know me and have talked movies with me, you know that I am not a huge fan of sci-fi flicks. I don't have a beef against science fiction. I don't have any personal issues with it. It's just not something that is attractive to me. But every now and then, there is a movie that comes along that's just a fun movie to watch and is well-made. And one of my all-time favorites is Men in Black. And if you've never seen that movie, you're probably familiar, a little bit anyway, about the theme of the movie. It's a movie about aliens from outer space. And these aliens from outer space are all around us, and most of us don't know who they are because they're disguised like us. They, they live in human bodies. Only there are a few people that work for the government that know who they are. They're the men in black. And so they can expose them, and sometimes they'll even reveal who they truly are. They'll peel back the, the human skin, and you see these big, magnificent creatures from these planets in outer space. Now, what if I was to tell you today that I don't have any creatures living inside of me. Some of you may find that hard to believe, but I don't. But what if I was to tell you that the creator of all things does live inside of me? Would you believe that? Yes, all right. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad to hear several of you say that because the creator of the universe, God himself, does live inside of me. Now, I'm not saying God because I'm certainly not, and I think most of you know that. But God does live inside of me through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to continue looking at the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit. And one of the many reasons that this subject is so important is because through the Holy Spirit, we have a close relationship with God. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I don't know about you, but I have been tremendously challenged by this series so far. I mean, I always get convicted and challenged a little bit by sermons, but this one in particular, for some reason, has really hit me hard. And I think the reason is, is I've known for some time that I really need to rekindle my relationship with God. I know it's been too dry and too routine for too long. So let's go ahead and dive in with number one in your outline, which is a real relationship is personal. Isn't that profound? A real relationship is personal. Can I get a no duh? <laughs> Relationships are personal. We know that. That's obvious. But I think it is important to emphasize this when we're talking about our relationship with God. Because what is the, the vision or the impression that most people have about God? They, they have the, this vision of, of this old man up in the sky, has a long gray beard down to his knee and wearing some kind of a robe. And a lot of people picture God having some kind of a cane that he's leaning on. Now, how can an old man who can't hold himself up sustain the universe? But that's a picture a lot of people have, that there's a, this, maybe there's this creator, maybe there's this super being out there somewhere that's just looking down upon us and watching us from a distance. That's not God. God is closer than even people in our lives if we have a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the way Calvin Miller put it in his book, Loving God Up Close. He says, and I quote, I like thinking of the Holy Spirit 
as the near side of the Trinity. God the Father pervades the universe. Christ the Son stands at the right hand, having finished the work of redeeming us. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling Christ, our enthroned, our heart enthroned God. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Now, this word glory, we, we sing about it, we read about it in Scripture, we talk about it, and it's used in a lot of different senses. We talk about giving glory to God or someday seeing God in all his glory, Jesus in all his majesty. Where? In a place that we call what? Glory. A place that he's prepared for us that's even, if you can believe it, more magnificent than the universe we're experiencing right now. And so when I, I hear this word glory, I think of the presence of God just magnified in every sense that, that we talk about it. And what does Paul say? He says, Christ is in us, what? The hope of glory. And see, we live in a world today that really doesn't have a lot of hope. We, have, we live in a world where there's a lot of fatalistic attitudes. And we've got to do the best we can to make it good here because this is it. And yet, the hope that they need dwells within us. What is he saying here? If you go back and read the, the first chapter of Colossians, the main focus is the supremacy of Christ, the supremacy of who he is. Who is he? Well, he's the head of the church. He's the creator of all things. He's the, the, the one who created everything, past, present, and future. He's, all, he's the one who has all the fullness of deity living within him. He is the one who went to the cross so that we can have peace with ourselves and peace with others and peace with God. He's the authority of every type of authority that there is. And he's saying that he lives within us. And we can even personalize what Paul says here by saying, Christ in me, the hope of glory. In fact, let's say that together. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Let's say it again. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And see, that's one of the greatest truths we know about the Holy Spirit is God himself is dwelling within our lives, within our very being. And I don't know about you, but there's been too many times in my life as a Christian that I tend to not necessarily totally forget about that, but I don't appreciate it enough. I tend to start doing things on my own, walking on my own, going to places where I don't need to be in my life because I'm not relying on Christ. And Paul says, this is the greatest treasure that's ever been given to man. This hope of glory. The gospel dwells inside of us. And we have Christ with us throughout eternity. Now, William Randolph Hearst uh, built the, the largest newspaper chain in the United States back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And he was known to be a big investor of art. And he had a huge collection. And one time, he, he was reading about a piece of art that he just knew he had to have. And so he called in one of his assistants, and he says, I've got to have this piece of art. And he showed him what it was, and he says, I want this exact piece, and I want you to find it for me. It doesn't matter how much it costs. And so he sent his assistant out searching for it, which, which even involved him traveling abroad, going overseas. And after several months, he came back, and he said, Mr. Hearst, I found this, this treasure that you've been looking for. And he said, oh, that's great. Where did you find it? He said, it's in your art storehouse stored away. If you just read your collection of art, you'd know that you've owned this for years. 
And Christian, as Christians, we have the greatest treasure that's ever been given to man living within us. But how often do we, we realize that, tap into it, just dwell on the significance that it means? Well, let's take a look at number two, and that is a real relationship is liberating. People talk about wanting to be liberated. There's no greater liberator in history than Jesus Christ. He has freed us in many ways. He's freed us from ourselves, from trying to find peace and satisfaction in this life that never brings true peace, that at least is lasting. He's also freed us from these works of religion, of trying to work hard to please God, trying to work so hard to try to find God, just like those who are looking for art collections that they, that they already have. I think St. Augustine said it best, and I'm not talking about our St. Augustine, but the church father that our past is named after. And this is probably one of his most quoted quotes. He said, Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they find their rest in thee. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? That's quotable. I would even go as far as to say, that'll tweet. We don't find true rest. We don't find true freedom until we come into that relationship with Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, so now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? What's he talking about? He's talking about people who come to know Christ, but then they go back to the old religious practices that they once used to try to find or please God that are so unnecessary. Now, more specifically, Paul here is talking to people, the first, really the first generation of Christians who before Christianity had the law of Moses. And they, they certainly, under the law of Moses, they had to follow the, these certain religious practices that uh, were given to them by God. But now we have freedom. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jeremiah promises in Jeremiah 31, 33. He says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What is Jeremiah saying here? You have to understand that Jeremiah was talking long before Christ came and died on the cross. And before that time, there were people of God. And how did they come to know Christ? You know, really, they came to know Christ the same way that we do today. It's by grace of God through faith in God. And their grace still came from the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. They just didn't have the gospel like we do today. They didn't have that story to go back to. But they did works of religion that pointed towards Christ. And if you study the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it's a little bit different than today. The Holy Spirit was still very much active uh, in the lives of God's people, only it was different. There were certain things that the Holy Spirit would do through certain people. But then something changed. Now, I don't know if you took up the challenge to go back and read the book of Acts since we started this uh, study, or if you've read the book of Acts lately. But there's a, a feast that the nation of Israel used to observe. And in Acts chapter 2, we read about 
a feast that was celebrated, but God showed up in a special way. Do you remember the name of that feast? Pentecost. That's right. It was Pentecost. And then on this particular Pentecost, uh, which just means 50, the word penny means 50, and it was celebrated by Israel, and they would do it 50 days after the Passover. But on this, this particular Pentecost, God showed up in a special way. Jesus had already died, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven, and he told his disciples, wait for me in Jerusalem. And so they waited, and they prayed. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the church in such a way that this has become known as the spiritual birth of the church. And since that day forward, every time someone accepts Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within our lives. Hey, look at what Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, and 7. This is just uh, some verses preceding the one I just read. He said, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And look how he puts it in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. Now, what does he say? He says, when the Holy Spirit comes in, it causes us to cry out God. And he gives something specific for us to cry out to God, saying, he says, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba can be literally translated Daddy. But if we really look at it and think about it, it goes a little bit deeper than that, if you think about it. Say that with me. Say Abba. Abba. Now say Daddy. Okay? Say Father. Say Mother. Okay? Now say Mama. Dada. Which sounds closer to Abba? How many parents do we have here? What was the first words that your child said? to you hello mother what's for dinner hello father how was work today no trying to exercise this gift of being able to speak with little or no teeth what did they say mama papa and you know what that child was thinking when they said that hmm i really need to figure out how to pull this person's strings because they're pretty big. They could crush me with little effort. And I'm starting to realize that this is where the food comes from, where I get bathed, where I get changed. So what can I do to pull their strings? What do I need to do to make them happy and feel good about me? Do you think that's what they were thinking? No. They said, I'm reaching out to the one who takes care of me, the one who loves me, the one that I love, the one that I trust most in my life. In fact, I would feel absolutely lost and abandoned without them. That's what it means. When we come into a relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives us supernaturally the same instinct that a child has for their parent. 
So we cry out to our Father, and we cry out, Abba. Now, I have a son named Joe, uh, and he was adopted. He came into our home when he was about seven years old as a, as a foster child, and he's now 24. So he's now on his own, kind of. He kind of goes on his own and comes back. But uh, several months ago, um, a job opportunity, at least I thought, was opening up, and Debbie and I were kind of entertaining it, and it was, it was in Arizona, not that I have a problem with Arizona, but we didn't really want to leave Las Cruces. But we were talking about it, and we said, you know, we should talk to Joe about this. And we said, what do you think if we were to move to another state? And he said, I'd probably just move out there with you. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel that way about God? If he says, you know, a big change is coming, and this is what I want you to do, God, I'm with you. Wherever you go, that's what I want to do. So let's look at number three. A real relationship is empowering. And we know this. For those of you who are married, those of you who are not married but maybe have a close friend that uh, you, you rely on, you know that relationships change us for the better most of the time. But usually they do, don't they? They, 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 they uh, encourage us to be more uh, fruitful. They, they, they encourage us to do things that are better for ourselves and, and better for others. They also provide a sense of security that we don't otherwise have. And this is even more true with our relationship with God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's read that verse together. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, back in the 90s, I was pastoring a church in Fort Worth, and my best friend at the time uh, was named John Shelton, and he had a ministry that was called Church on the Lot uh, Ministries. And it, the reason it was called Church on the Lot Ministries is because it was a ministry that was born in a parking lot in Dallas. He was discipling some men at the church uh, he was at in, in Hearst, Texas, and and he was teaching them how to do personal evangelism. He says, hey, next week, instead of coming to the church building, let's go to this parking lot in Dallas and, and talk to some people and lead them to the Lord. Well, he got there Sunday morning, and no one else showed up. It was just him. But he did have a chance to meet some people, share Christ, and they asked him to come back the next week. And so eventually, there was actually a, a church that was started through that ministry in a parking lot. And then he started some other churches and parking lots in, in Dallas, which grew into some other ministries. And the way I got to know him was my church partnered with his ministry, and uh, we uh, opened up some, some room within our, our education building where they could bring in food because there, there were businesses at this time that were giving money, donating it to, to buy food to give to people um, out on the street. And so we would bag groceries there. So one day there were several of us there bagging groceries, and we got into this conversation about how we came to Christ, how we came to know Christ, and we were all sharing uh, our story about how we, how we got saved. And his assistant said that the way she got saved, her and her husband, was there was an evangelist who sold vacuum cleaners uh, to support his family. And so he went to sell him a vacuum cleaner, and he sold him a vacuum cleaner, but he also led him to Christ. And she said that they got excited about Christ right away. They, they got involved in the church. Wow, you guys just disappeared. 
I thought the rapture happened. I was the only one left. <laughs> What's the Holy Spirit doing here? So anyway, uh, this is an important word. Oh, yeah. So anyway, she said that uh, they came to Christ. They got excited about Jesus. They got involved in the church, and they, they raised their kids in the church. But after they got saved, there was one thing that they didn't give up, and that was smoking pot. And she said one morning after her husband went to work and her kids went to school, she smoked a joint. She was going to go out and do some errands. And she said God spoke to her. And she said that he spoke to her in an audible voice. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I've heard several people in my life say that they've heard God speak to them in an audible voice. And these are people that don't know each other. And whenever I ask them, I say, how do you know that it was God speaking? They always give the same answer. When God speaks, you just know it. And these are all godly, sound, sane people. So I have no reason whatsoever to doubt that they, they heard his voice. I've never heard God in an audible voice, but I believe that they have. But she said that what he told her was, look, I have something better for you than this. And she knew exactly what he was talking about, and she said, that's it. She never got high again, never did drugs again. And God began to open up doors of ministry for her. Some incredible doors of ministry. Now, one of the things that Pastor Dennis has been encouraging throughout this series is wanting more of God. And I don't know about you, but that's part of the challenge that I've been feeling. I need more of God. I know that. And I want more of that. How about you? Do you want more of God? What does God want you to do to get there? Do you know? Have you been listening to him? Do you know that God speaks to you on a regular basis? If you're truly saved, you need to know that he does. The Bible is very clear about that. In John chapter 10, Jesus says he's the good shepherd, and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they recognize his voice. Now, that for most of us, that's not an audible voice. But it could be a still, small voice. It could be other things that are taking place in our lives. Do you know what God is saying to you? Do you know how to listen to God? Well, let's go to, let's go to point four, to look at how we listen to God. Our real relationship is exclusive. Okay? How many of you are married? Okay. So when you got married, maybe you did or maybe you didn't, but there's chances that, that most of you probably had some traditional or close to traditional vows. And in those vows, you probably quoted something like excluding all others. What does that mean? Do you just, the two of you just become reclusive? Well, maybe for a little while. But what does that mean? It means the two of you have to understand that that relationship is the most important earthly relationship that you have here on out. So you need to take time to nurture it. You need to exclude all others. And that's biblical. God said that's why a man should leave his father and mother. Ooh. I can feel the tension from the helicopter parents right now. No way. Yes. Yes. There's another relationship that's going to become more important than you, parents, and that's the marriage relationship. But a relationship that's even more important than that is a relationship that we have with Christ. And if we're truly going to grow in this relationship, and if we're truly going to know what he expects of us, we need to spend time together with him to nurture that relationship. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up 
and went out to an isolated place to pray. What was the place he went to? An isolated place. What does that mean? It means he disconnected from the world. You think you're busy? Try trying to save the whole world from their sins. Try being the Messiah who everywhere you go, people flock to you. Jesus was busy. He had more important to work than any of us can even imagine. And yet he recognized that he needed to get alone with the Father to speak to him and to listen to him. So how do we how do we listen to God? Well, first of all, how many of you are familiar with the term fubbing? All right. Well, you get to learn a new word today that you can impress your family and friends with. And uh, aren't you glad you came? And the word is called fubbing. It's taken from the words phone and snubbing. So you're phone snubbing people. And it's a real word. In fact, uh, Merriam-Webster defines it this way. Fubbing is the act of snubbing someone in a social setting by looking at your phone instead of paying attention. It looks something like this. <laughs> Look familiar? Just go to a restaurant this afternoon. You'll see a couple out on a romantic lunch or dinner. This is the world we live in, our new buddies, right? Do you ever fub God? Now, I admit that I... I keep my phone with me, and I actually use it for mostly for, for reading Scripture today, uh, at least in my daily Bible reading time. I use the church app. You read through it, and it gets you through the Bible in a year. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes. But sometimes while I'm reading the Bible on my cell phone, it kind of buzzes and gives a ding, and a shot of adrenaline goes through me. Wow. I bet that's a message. It's probably an important one, probably not another insurance salesperson probably something really cool i wonder if i should check that out or even better it could be a like i mean that was a really cool post i put on facebook recently but maybe phones aren't your thing maybe you're televubbing don't ask me how i know this but back before dvrs you know i knew a guy that would watch tv mute the commercials and do the bible reading isn't that really giving God our undivided attention? No, not even close. Doesn't quite work that way. No, if we really want to hear from God, we're going to have to get quiet. We're going to have to get alone. We're going to have to disconnect from the world. And the only way to do that is to disconnect from the world. And I want to challenge you this week. This is my challenge for you. Take 10 or 15 minutes every day just to get quiet. And I'm not talking about your quiet time. That's important. Your daily Bible study, your prayer, that's important. In fact, that's the most important habit that you can have in your life. But aside from that, just get quiet. Take 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe driving, turn off the radio. Maybe if you're out jogging or walking. Maybe just turn off that Bluetooth just for a little while. Working around the house, turn off the music, turn off the television. Just get quiet. Listen, the Bible says God speaks to his children. But how in the world can we hear what he's saying with so much noise going on? We have to disconnect from the world if we're going to hear him. Now, I have a couple of confessions to make. First of all, getting alone and quiet is not a problem for me. 
I'm an introvert. I love people. I love being away from people, but I also love getting away from people. I, that, that's natural. I've got to have my recharging time, and that comes in quiet isolation. Now, the second confession is just because I'm in quiet isolation doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm open to God speaking to me or that I'm even thinking about God. So it does have to be intentional. Just if you're going to pray, keep it short, but just say, God, I'm open to whatever you have to say to me. You, you probably won't hear an audible voice. Maybe you will. Or maybe God will speak in some other way. Maybe all of a sudden you're making a decision. You're just like, wow, where did that come from? Or maybe something comes to your mind that you never thought about before. God speaks to his people. We just have to be ready to listen. Number five, a real relationship is obsessive. The closest relationships are between people who obsessively, fanatically, and constantly learn more about one another. Now, how many theologians do we have here today? None. Wow. I, I, would, I would suggest that everyone in here is a theologian, at least a little bit. Why? Because you're here. You're here to learn about God. And you have this theologian up here telling you about God, right? But what is a theologian? A theologian is someone who studies God. It's a student of God. And so there are a lot of different types of theologians. There are certainly those who spend a lifetime studying and writing and teaching about God. And there are children in the nursery that are hearing those songs and those stories for the first time. They're learning about God, so they're theologians. But I want to challenge you, wherever you're at, is become more of a theologian than you are today. Study God. Now, my wife, this last week, just renewed her subscription to People Magazine. She's only one of 46.6 million people that subscribe to it. It's, it's the most read magazine in the world. So apparently, people like to study people. Is there anything wrong with that? <clears throat> no, there's nothing wrong with that. I like to study people, too, just not contemporary. I like history, and I like historical movies and biographies and um, about people that probably don't make a whole lot of difference. In fact, when my wife and I are driving down the road and we're listening to an oldies station, I can tell you all about all these old retired bands and she says, you should be a DJ because you know so much about that. And I'm like, I guess I'm like Seinfeld. I know a lot of things about nothing, at least nothing that's going to make a difference in anyone's life. So it's okay to study people. But how much time do you spend studying God? You know, the creator of the universe, the one that went to the cross for you, the one that dwells inside of you is the person of the Holy Spirit. Become a theologian. And if you haven't started, let me tell you a good place to start. This is another no-duh moment, but also a very important one. Start with the Bible. Why? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. It says, The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except who? The Spirit of God. <clears throat> now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. And so the best way to know God is through his word, because God himself 
is there translating it for us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. It says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by who? The Holy Spirit. And they spoke from God. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Studying someone through a book or a magazine is fine, but to really have the author there makes the difference. And let me ask you something. If you're not listening to the voice of God, what voice are you listening to? Chances are you're listening to the voice of the world. And what is the voice that the world listens to? They're listening to the voice of the rest of the world. And what is the rest of the world saying to one another? We have a spirit that gives us sound mind, self-control, and love, right? What is the rest of the world showing? There's people today, celebrities, that will say, well, you know, anyone that speaks or listens to God, they probably have a mental illness and they're probably dangerous. My argument is this. You study someone who is truly studying the word of God, living the word of God as it's written, and speaking the word of God and spending time with God, and you show me that this person is dangerous or has a mental illness. And then look at what the rest of the world is, say, is saying. Just turn on the TV. I do. I watch the news, and I get upset. And then I look at Facebook because I like to keep up with my friends and family. And what is the world saying to one another? We have to find out who we're supposed to be deeply in hate with today. I've never seen our nation more polarized. Listen, if Christians who are walking with God, who are living a life of love, and living a life of a sound mind are mentally ill, then what we need is more mental illness. Spend time studying God and see what difference it makes in your life. Number six, a real relationship endures. A true solid relationship endures trials and the test of time. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Now, circle the word sealed. That word really is just telling us that God's brand is on us. We belong to God, and that's true throughout eternity. So God's never going to leave us or forsake us. That's his promise. Now, circle the word, word grieve. The word grieve. Even though God is never going to leave us, there are times I know in my life, where I've tried to walk on my own, tried to do things on my own, and it led me to some places that I didn't want to be and I know God didn't want me to be. Those of you who are parents that have teenagers and adults, have you ever grieved over where your children have ended up? Well, how do you think God's heart feels when we go to places without him that leads us to a place of destruction? In John chapters 14 through 16, Jesus tells his disciples about the Holy Spirit. It's some of the best teaching, probably the best teaching in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. And look, what, look at what he says in John chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from what? Falling away. To keep you from falling away. We need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. We need to remember that God is with us always and he's there for us. When we don't, it says we'll fall away. 
Does that mean we'll lose our salvation? No. We belong to God for eternity. But in a lot of ways, we can be lost again. We can be out there with no direction. We can be out there living lives that we think are going to be pleasing to us when they're not pleasing to God. And it's almost like we're saved, but really saved from what as far as this life goes? That's not God's desire for us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Now, a few years after I came to know Christ, and I was excited about Christ, the life I lived before Christ was an ungodly life, and I didn't have any desire to go back to that life. But I wasn't really feeling like I was doing much for God or accomplishing much with my own life. I was in my late 20s, and I uh, wasn't married, didn't have any prospects at the time, and I just didn't think that the work I was doing for God was, was doing much. And so I went to this concert, and when the, the singer, who was a, a well-known Christian musician, uh, came to Albuquerque, and I went there from, from Alamogordo, uh, instead of saving one of her great, well-known songs to the end of the concert, like most musicians do, she sang this brand-new song that nobody knew at the end of the concert. Not only did she sing it, but she got the congregation singing it, and then her and the band just, just left and left us there singing the chorus to a song, which in essence said, I will be with you, just singing to God. And, you know, the drive home from Albuquerque to Almogordo, I couldn't stop thinking about that. I thought, there's no relationship in my life that is eternal except for my relationship with God. I, I, I left home this morning. And my wife didn't come with me. She'll be in the next service, but she's not here now. But you know what? God is. And when I left church last night, guess what? He went home with me as well. He is with me constantly. And so many times I neglect to realize that. When I face moral struggles, when I, when I face doubt, when I face fears, I tend to forget that God is there with us. And regardless of what we're going through, he's there to guide us. He's there to comfort us. He's there to give us peace. He's there to give us wisdom to get through these times. I want to close with, uh, with the video of a song. and I encourage you to just read the lyrics, and if you know the song, go ahead and sing along. Let's watch it together.
Let's pray. At this time, I, I want to encourage you to pray. Just between you and God. We're talking about a personal relationship, and that's what you have as a Christian with God. If you're not a Christian here after the service, someone in the prayer room will be able to share with you how you can come into that real relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is not about religion. It's about a relationship. But Christian, if you truly want more of God, I know I do. And if you truly want to serve him more and just complete his will, would you just open up to him as we prepare our hearts to worship and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper? And just, just let him know that, that you're willing to listen to him and then that you're willing to follow him. Let's just take a few moments and just open up our hearts to God.